Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Uh, nice little afternoon. Just going to give you guys a quick little podcast before I get started. Went to the range yesterday. Had a great day, actually. A little abbreviated. Got between the weather. We had that, uh, you know, bomb, cyclone, snowstorm. It was not a, a lot of snow, but it was crazy, and it messed everything up. So uh, I was able to jump out really quick and get out to the range. A little bit of drift and snow at the gate. But otherwise, I was able to go right through it. And then once I was there, it was a pretty decent day. The goal yesterday, um, number one, I had to shoot a video for the online training lesson. So I did that. I shot the video up, uh, make sure I can get that knocked out for this month. And so that'll get edited up either today or tomorrow and put up there along with this. But um, I was playing with the 22, the Voodoo 22. And as well, I had just gotten in since SHOT Show uh, the EOTech Voodoo. 22, the little, or not 22, but the uh, 5 to 25, the Voodoo Compact Scope is what I'm looking to say. So I had a Voodoo rifle with the Voodoo 22, and I am was using a Thunder Beast uh, 22 suppressor. Man, that thing's really good with some Subsonic Prime. I have a, a bunch of that uh, Subsonic Prime, and so I zeroed it up with that. Put it all together, zeroed up the scope. Scope zeroed really easy. I actually like it. it uh, it'll focus down at max power to 50 yards. You're not going to get much further in with max power, but you could power it down and then focus in. But other than a little bit of purple fringing on the snow and the white targets, it was actually really nice. I mean, the floating dot center reticle that I'm using, I'm not using the Horus version because uh, you can get that that uh, EOTech in a uh, Horus. So instead, I went with their reticle with the floating dot. And yeah, it worked out really good. I was able to, you know, hit that little orange quarter minute dot and zero it up uh, with the, um, you know, at, at distance. And it didn't cover it up. And I was able to stack a bunch in. And then I took it out to 200 yards. So I need 7.2 mils. At 200 yards, and and with the wind, I was anywhere between a mil and a half to two and a half mils of wind uh, to hit the plate, and I was using a 45% IPSC, so an eight and a half by 11 at 200 yards, and it was doing really well. I actually got some pretty good video and some different stuff, and that I'll be able to edit up with. I got the I'm using the Manor stock, and I like the Manors a ton. Um, a big fan of it, the carbon fiber PRS. I got to knock the length of pull down a little bit on it. It's a tick too long for me on the positional stuff. And one of the videos that I was doing was talking about unsupported position versus supported positions. And I originally, I did this video about two months back and I didn't like the way it came out. So I actually had trashed it and got rid of it. But the key elements that I was going to look for, look at, in, in part of this video was the um, that forearm and how to, with an unsupported position, you want that forearm to be as vertical under the rifle as possible and how that translates from a standing to a kneeling to a sitting position and even into the prone. I didn't get into the prone part of it. I didn't actually the original video. I didn't as much in this video. Uh, but that's the thing is how that forearm translates. So I was really looking at that in terms of, you know, we focus on so much uh, 
alternate positions, right? You know, barricades, culverts, all those different things. And it's always that standing, kneeling combination that we look at. And, you know, if you listen to, uh, which I need to go back, uh, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's all right. I, I like to wander. And, but I need to, um, Go back and thank the the shooter mindset people, and and this kind of ties into the shooter mindset. I don't know if you guys were able to watch it or listen. It's on YouTube, so you can actually watch it. But I did a podcast with the shooters mindset this week. Uh, so though I had met them at the Precision Rifle Expo, and then saw them. I guess that shot. I saw them again. And then they asked me if I would do the podcast. So uh, their podcast, and it's more of a V blogger, you know. Uh, that video blog stuff. And so I did that Tuesday. And if you're out there, it's definitely running around the Facebooks, the YouTubes, and Snipers Hide Forum. So I want to thank them for, uh, you know, doing that with me. Now, this is what brought up, I, I need to back up and we'll get back into the voodoo and some of the other stuff, Um, you know, catch up. One thing I got to say too, seeing how I'm in that first five minutes and it's early and, and the whole thing, and I'm going to go into a tangent and then jump back on this. But, um, Thanks for everybody for subscribing. We're just shy. Mike actually looks at the stats more than I do. I'll get texts from Mike and, oh, your stats are here. And, oh, you're, I just do the podcast. I freaking walk away. And then I don't, like, bear down on the stats. I'm sure if I looked at the stats, I can, you know, go, okay, on this day, on this episode, you guys listened but didn't like it right here and dropped off when we were talking about this. And you peaked us on downloads and watches and listens when you did that. But I don't do that. I just kind of like knock these out and throw them away and, you know, I'm done with it. But Michael texts me and say, hey, man, so we're seven short of 3,000 subscribers. I remember when we were like crowing about 1,000 people, you know, and now we're, we're a year later. We're going into that 3,000 mode. And definitely thank you, everybody, for the comments. Uh, using it, def Keep commenting on that Podbeat app. The, 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 the P for pterodactyl is funny, you know. I'm I'm keeping an eye on that. I'll look at the Podbean comments. I I I'll try to answer some of them. Definitely, you can ask those questions on the Podbean comment. But I'm not a super fan, and I don't know how it is from your user experience. But to answer, you know what I mean. For me to answer you, it's kind of like okay, who's he talking to? For some of the other people, at least that's how it looks to me. But if it's all good with me answering you on the Podbean app, I'm fine doing it. Otherwise, the Sniper's Hide Forum has an everyday sniper section to it and a lot of discussions about the various episodes in there. And I want to thank everybody for the support and reaching out about the uh, George Ortiz's stuff and, and what's going on there. I got some really great reactions and some funny stuff. The other thing is thank you for uh, the historical stuff. I, I'm not, I never quite understand how people are going to take it, like, you know, telling war stories because I'm not, you know, I like telling silly stories and stuff, like funny and dumb things that I did, you know, out in town or that night or, you know, oh, I got in trouble and here's how I got in trouble, you know, and, and that kind of stuff versus more of the, well, there I was, you know, Bayonet broke, one bullet left, and it's like, what the heck? I, yeah, okay. So I, I kind of almost shy away from some of them because they're they're Cold War, you know what I mean? The, 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 other than the one combat action, it's nothing like what guys do today. So you, you get kind of, um, you know, like, ah, I'm not saying anything that these guys aren't doing every day. So, you know, what's the point? It's it, That was all Cold War training except for that one little op. And, and, you know, here these guys are on four and five deployments in combat zones. So it's 
to me, it's 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 one of those things. But I, I'm glad that that stuff's resonating, that you guys are enjoying it. I'm getting a lot of really positive comments that they, you guys are entertained by those kinds of stories. So, hey, man, get a couple more people to sign up and, and subscribe to us. We'll, we'll knock over that 3,000 mark. I mean, we, we definitely grew in the Precision Rifle podcast space. Uh, you know, in a big, big way. And that's all because of you guys out there who are enjoying it, listening and telling your friends and sharing it around the internet. Um, don't be afraid to share the podcast that way. But, uh, you know, definitely some high downloads. And it's crazy too. We used to average just about that 3,000 downloads per episode, you know, so you'd go look at the stats and they all look the same to me. It's like, okay, you know, to uh, 2899 okay 2915 you know numbers generally stay pretty consistent but the George Gardner and the Jacob Bynum ones are over 4000 downloads and so they jumped up really really big i mean even the big like David Tubb one he he was one of the first to go over 3000 downloads in which we thought was like wow that's like a thousand more than normal at the time and now we're like almost doubling the number of downloads that are taking place, and that's all based on you guys. And so we really uh, appreciate that, and, and, and definitely thanks for listening all over the world. I know there's a lot of listeners, uh, not just in the U.S., but everywhere. I, I actually got some stats up here uh, um, that I don't know if the world's stats are up. Nah, they're not up right now. I'm not going to go into the geography of where everybody is. I guess I can click on the one thing, and, and it'll give me – my my geography so canada jumped up but used to be we were we were always really pretty big in like the sweden hang on i gotta scroll down a little bit sweden's still up there um but you guys got passed by canada australia and then the united kingdom man uh uk you guys are stepping up big then sweden's coming up still respectable numbers guys but um canada and australia you guys are really really knocking it out and then in the United States, you know, that's that's pretty typical. But thanks to everybody for that. I know Mike always likes to look at those stats and see where everybody's listening. But our, our big ones are there. I mean, heck, we got them all over the place. Uh, There's actually a crazy – let me see here. There's a view more because I see some kind of colors popping up. No, uh, yeah, Sweden and Norway. New Zealand's a big one. Hey, condolences to you guys down there in New Zealand. Uh, you're definitely some big podcasters. I hope that doesn't negatively affect our – uh, fans and viewers out there and what you can personally do that doesn't take away from your freedoms to have some, you know, friggin' terrorists do some crappy shit. But, um, yeah, then South Africa and Ireland, uh, St. Patrick's Day today. Happy St. Patrick's Day to Ireland. You guys are in the top 10 there as well. So thanks to all our top 10 uh, countries out there. Uh, it's it's definitely something, you know, to, uh, to uh, that we're proud of, that, you know, we can reach people all around the world. But getting back into that Voodoo 22 in um, the EOTech Voodoo. So I thought, like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm putting this back together. I'm getting it ready. I was invited to a 22 match. I kind of messed the dates up. I wasn't sure and didn't have data because all the 22 matches, like here anyway, are going to go to 200 and beyond a little bit. little ELR mixed in with that 22 stuff. So I'm looking at that, uh, and I'm like, well, what scope can I get to do so this Voodoo came in, the EOTech, and I said, voodoo, voodoo, voodoo meet voodoo, you know, so I thought that was pretty funny, so I put it together, I said, let me see how it works on the 22 and everything, and, and play with it, because I do have that Citron, like I talked about, and like I said, I talked to them as well, because the, um, the, uh, in the, in the lower end, I didn't realize this Citron 
was only like six, seven hundred dollars. It's really, really inexpensive, and it's a you know, Citron. It's a decent scope for that little bit of money. That other one that I mentioned in the catalog looked like a really good contender for what we're doing. For but for low cost, this S Tac is well under a thousand bucks. And, you know, that's, we always tend to talk about more expensive stuff. You know, we're Accuracy International guys. We're using JP rifles. We're using all these night forces and zero comps and, you know, the Schmidt and Benders and things like that. So we're using really expensive stuff when we talk to you. And I try not to forget that there's people out there that aren't spending three grand on an optic, that guys want to spend five, six, eight hundred dollars. So more and more, I've been looking at that. And, you know, one of the things with the Ashbury rifle, bringing those costs down, well, you know, not everybody may be able to pair it with an equally priced scope. So they may want to, okay, two grand, I can, I could suffer three grand for the entire package. Okay, well, at, you know, six, seven hundred bucks, whatever the Citron is, and then the APO rifle, you're, you're kind of in the ballpark. You know what I mean? You're under three thousand bucks. To get you up and running. So I, I think that's a, a pretty neat thing. But with this uh, Voodoo, like I said, I zeroed it up. Zeroed up, no problem. I didn't get really deep into the turrets yet. I just unlocked it to the top and reset it and spun it. But it was super simple to get it to where I needed to be. It's looking like it's tracking well, but I haven't done an official tracking test on it. I'll probably do the tracking test on this guy at the end. Sometimes I like to do them in the beginning and then do them at the end for the reviews. You know, so maybe even I'll end up doing that. I'll take it off uh, next range session out. I'll run it. Then I'll run it like normal for a month or so. And then I'll take it off and do one more and do my final video. I like that. That's why my reviews tend to take a longer amount of time. Now, just that first blush with that scope, that voodoo scope, it, it does have some purple fringing on the white. Like I said, I had snow out there. I sprayed the targets white so I could see it. My shorter targets were darker. I ended up going out and spraying them so I could actually see where the heck I was hitting with that thing. I wanted to pay a little bit of attention to it. Um, and, and I also found where my where my uh, my head issue was, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, um, so I saw some purple around the edge, and there's some people that just go absolutely bonkers with the purple fringing, and it's the same as this color right here. So if I hit that color on my board, that's the sound that comes out. So it, it's definitely, there is some CA to it, uh, okay? Uh, now, I may have to tweak it and tune it. I think I'm going to go in. I, I went back with my glasses. I need them, man. I really got to play this glasses game, and I, and I need to go get my prescription fixed. I realized it's not so much my prescription that's messed up as they messed my depth up. And so I, it's to find the, the starting in the sweet spot because of the way my eyes have, have degenerated between progressives. I, I might both my near and far sighted have problems. You know, I can't look at stuff really close without readers. And then when I go out to distance, I need, you know, that. So uh, I'm running into that combination and to get a prescription where I can balance the distance is becoming an issue. So with the Voodoo, I was with my, my uh, prescription glasses, I, I adjusted up the ocular a bit and, and I think I may tweak that and do it a little bit better and fine tune the, the package for me. 
Sometimes that might pull a little bit of the CA out, but I, I doubt it. It's But it's there. It's not the yellow. It's just purple. So it's only in that one spectrum that you're seeing a little bit of purple fringing. But like I said, it didn't hinder me at all. It's just whether or not that bugs you to see that shade of purple around white. And that was the only place I saw it. And I was maxing the power out too. I didn't mess around too much. I was able, like I said, to shoot it at 25 power. But it, I mean, pairing it with a Voodoo 22, it's a good looking package. And it was working. I didn't have any issues with anything like that. And like I said, now I just got to kind of dope it out and make sure I know I'm, uh, what God, I don't remember. I wrote it down. Um, I got a like 1.5 at a hundred. And then I'm, like I said, 7.2 at 200. And, and I made sure I nailed the ranges really well. Uh, so I was able to do that and zeroing it up at 50. I did a 50 yard zero with that. Uh, like I said, prime subsonic, but uh, I may I may end up swapping it around and put it into a chassis or doing something just to shorten that length to pull up a little bit. I'm gonna see where I ran into the problem in shooting these videos. If you're if you're slick and you look at it, watch my hand coming up on the bolt, and I'm gonna get into kind of my after action with this, uh, where where I noticed I'm I'm diagnosing too much. Okay, I'm not going in, and I recognized it with the 22. This thing was dead. I at first I didn't even think it shot. I was like, oh my god! With the, when I put the Thunder Beast on it, and then put it all together, and with the Subsonic Prime, I was like, damn, that didn't even shoot. And then I go look down on the paper, and there's actually a hole there. I'm like, holy shit! There's actually a hole in the paper. It didn't even sound like it fired. And so you you know you keep doing that. It's really 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 quiet. I mean, there's nothing there. It, it it's a great trainer in a way to do this because you're getting the results downrange. You still have the trigger, the whole thing. It's very much like our full size rifles, mag size, and everything like that. Regular scope, regular stock, right? Bolt runs, uh, pretty similar. Shorter throw, of course, but still got it. You know, normal bolt knob and the whole thing. So. I'm noticing I'm I'm like with my eyes and my brain, if that makes sense. Okay, it's in my mind, coach. You hit him in the mind, you know. So with my eyes and my brain, I'm going to run the bolt and I'm like watching myself run the bolt instead of watching the target. I'm coming off the target first mentally. And because I'm doing it mentally, I'm doing it physically. And then I'm having to reestablish like what's going on? I found and and I was able once I noticed it, I was able to play with it a little bit, and I said, "There's the problem." That was what I was doing wrong when I went down like rifles only and stuff because my head wasn't in it, and you know, and it, that's the whole thing. This is such a big mental aspect of what we're doing, you know, and it 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 was it was crazy to see me kind of looking away, like I said, first mentally, then physically, because my eyes were following my brain. And then I'd have to come back. So I'm like, okay. And I'm finding that just that eye movement, and for lack of a better word, um, it's head movement, but it's not. It's, 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 and it was, it did show up as a head movement um, in that video that I watched that Phil uh, Vallejo sent me, right? So he, he gave me that video I talked about from Rifles Only. And I'm watching myself come off the gun, and I'm not, I'm not staying engaged. It never fails, man. Never, ever, ever fails that I, I get into the middle of doing this podcast and my phone wants to ring. 
what is it with everybody? Because for two days, like yesterday, yesterday, my phone didn't ring at all. Not one phone call yesterday. I figured Sunday morning, thanks, Patrick. Stay, go do your own thing. What's my phone doing? My phone's ringing. Anyway, welcome to, you know, first world problems, right? So um, I'm noticing that I'm moving my head and I'm di- and I'm like looking at the ejection port. I'm looking for a problem. And, and it was weird because I'm watching these things that are not. But then if I got on target, if I got on to and I stayed on, I was much better. My hits were better. And you can see, say I'm shooting just as an example, okay? I'm shooting, if I'm, if I'm locked in to the target, I'm staying on, I'm focused in on where the reticle is. I'm my, 100% of my attention to the reticle. I fire, fire, fire. I got a one-inch group. Well, what, what I was doing with this mentally disengaging and not mentally following through and kind of looking at my hand running the bolt and, and my brain was kind of like thinking camera, thinking this, thinking that. And, and part of it I do think is the camera because I'm always worried about cameras. I, go, I get out there yesterday and the batteries are like all dead but two. And I'm like, what the hell? Why are these, these you know, there should have been like three dead batteries and then like three good batteries and then those two that were there, you know, because I have a lot of extra batteries with this. I don't have a big pack with this one camera. I get out there and every one of them doesn't work. And it was like, God damn it. So now I start thinking that the camera's going to die. The camera's going to die. The camera's going to die. Because sometimes you'll put a battery in, it'll it'll say, okay, I'm, you know, 75%. And then all of a sudden it'll jump immediately to 10, you know. So it's like always drives me nuts that I'm thinking about all these other things. And it's now affected my shooting. And I was able to see where my attention bounced with the bolt run, where I came off mentally and then my eyes came off from the reticle. The group isn't one inch anymore. It's two inches now. I was like doubling that group size because what's happening is that mental sway that's going on in my head was translating to the, to the groups and to the rifle. So it, it it's it's definitely um something like that and it, you know that the, there's a big big mental aspect of this game and I know when I'm in comps I never did this and a lot of the video because I was doing positional I was going from a standing to a kneeling and showing the barricade I actually did I don't know if I'm going to put it up I'm, I'm like ah do I even bother I did a video to show like Mike bitch with the barricade you know cuz in the shooter mindset they asked me about PRS shooting mostly. It was a lot about competition. and, and They were in, you know, they're three-gun guys from the beginning. And they had seen the jersey letter I did like three years ago. So there was discussion on that. Well, what's your true feelings about this? And, you know, and that kind of stuff. And then uh, Jennifer had brought up the barricades because she's my height. And, and there, there's, you know, there's the, the trend in... The, the the lady shooters are going to push this. They're going to be the ones that fix it. Ladies and juniors are going to, because when, when I complain about the barricade, it's just Frank complaining. But when they start to see women and juniors, it'll change it. And so I did a video because it's like easy to demonstrate where here's the PRS stat, here's the PRS uh, spec. So height, PRS height, PRS height. But then my, my one little barricade, and I got to get new barricades out there. My, um, my barricade has the other side, the short side. So I was using the short side, actually, and I showed a bit of the difference between how it's made when you force somebody to use your height versus letting somebody choose the height that fits them the best. 
And and hopefully that's the context people understand that on. That's not complaining for complaining's sake. It's basically to say, let the shooter choose the height that fits them to accomplish a standing shot. Don't dictate you're going to shoot off of 54 inches when you're only, you know, 54 inches yourself. That kind of thing. And since the match directors aren't putting any kind of platform to adjust the size, they would need a, a, a basically a... You know, like a four-foot square, six-inch block. You know what I mean? You'd have to make it like like cut a uh, piece of plywood in half. Uh, yeah, cut a plywood in half, build a two-by-six platform underneath it, put it in front of the barricade, and that would be short people, tall people, short people, that kind of thing is what you'd have to do. But since nobody's doing that, it you know, I kind of demonstrated it and said, well, why don't we change the barricade? design so that way there it fits people and you can choose this fits me this doesn't fit me and and go from there so that was what I kind of shot that the question is am I going to put it up is it it's it's a bit punky but it's not at the same time I didn't get kind of crazy with it so I don't know I'm confused whether or not I demonstrated or not. If if anything, I definitely will put it up on Sniper's Hide. I just won't socially share it and put it up on like Facebook or something. And it's funny to watch. Like I, you know, some people control the groups on Facebook. So other people can't. I can't. You know, because then they all take it personally and get offended. It's like, Mwah! Frank is being mean to us. It's so mean. I hate it. So anyway. That's that's kind of what what's what's going on with that, but no, I, I was like I said, I had a really good time out there with that little twenty two. I got data, um, and so now I need to get a uh, drop chart at all these little bitty ranges. You know what I mean? I'll do like a um, I'll do like a twenty five yard, or probably even a ten yard to um to a four hundred yard drop car, uh, chart. So that way I have the distance and everything. At at 200, it was pretty good. I had some crazy, you know, the wind was up there. The wind came up a little bit. Like I said, I was one and a half to two and a half mils of wind, depending where I caught the gusts. And with a 40 grain subsonic, man, it wasn't too awful, but it was good training. 7.2, that's my thousand yard dope, right? So I kind of got 200 yards. It's like shooting a thousand yards. There I go. And, and, and it worked out pretty darn well, and, and it was enough that you would get those misses in there because the wind was bigger than the target in a way, and I need to definitely go to smaller targets on certain things that I'm doing. So um, that Now, one other thing I wanted to get into, uh, there's actually a couple places I can go with this, but um, since everybody liked the historic stuff in the, in the training elements in, in this last half hour, I, I, I found I was cleaning out. We had with the, with the cyclone, right? We had lost power for like five hours. So I was cleaning up my office and moving some things around. And I had to do some stuff with my computer. My computer's been acting all weird, man. So I was cleaning up because I didn't have any access. And even ours, we had cell service, but no data service. Okay, if that makes sense to anybody. So we had cell phones uh, when the cyclone hit and we lost power, but no data. You couldn't even get anything on your cell phone other than like a text or a call but your data was dead man it was it didn't work so i was messing around and we go back to the old old school time down at rifles only and some of the other places in the northeast and i used to hang out with a bunch of guys in the northeast in fact one of them he moved he's in arizona now but he's still an original hide members on there greg greg langalius right um 
Greg, Greg has been there forever. And through Greg and through the whole thing, I'd met uh, this guy, Kevin M. I'm, I don't know if I give his last name. I'm not going to get too crazy with it. But, um, and this came from Gunsight. So this is reprinted from Gunsight and is reprinted with permission. But Kevin used to do the um, North American Snipers Guild. And we were all part of this. We were trying to do an association but the guild was an information and training association, right? It wasn't like a series and a competition. It was how to bring in as much information. And in, in, at the time when we first started all of this, I don't even know if there's a date on anything. Uh, at the time we started all this, it was a, a case of, um, you know, the, a lot more of the sniper stuff. Less competition. There was only like those four competitions a year that I had discussed, and it was more military, law enforcement, the old school sniper stuff, because we were in the middle of the war, the war we're at in the middle, but we had just started the wars right after 2001, and everybody's doing all this stuff. So this is like 2002, 2003, and it was less comp competitive, competition, and it was more combat, right? So Kevin did this guild, and he was doing a handbook and doing a manual and in part of doing this manual, now Kevin's got military background. He's really super smart guy, traveled all over the world, um, you know, but he was putting together this handbook. And, and one of the things that he put in with this, and it was handed out at like places like Gunsight, is Sniper Spotter Dialogue. Okay, and I'm not going to get completely 100% into it, but uh, I'm going to talk about the first little parts as just a nugget to give you. But I have this whole sheet here. And, and like I said, uh, just really smart guy. And, you know, he's got some quotes in there and it says, come, let us descend and confuse their language so that no one will not understand the language of his companion. Right. So sniper spotter dialogue. And here's the introduction. And I'm going to read this. OK, so I'm going to do voiceover now. Now, now comes the reading part of it. And I, and I rarely read on these things. Everything's like off the cuff. So bear with me as I kind of get into my voice mode of reading and hopefully I don't mess it up too much. But uh, give me a second here. I had a slug of coffee, make sure I you know wet my whistle a little bit. All right, so it says, how the sniper and his spotter communicate during sniper operations is critically important to the success of their mission. Fluency in sniper spotter dialogue SSD procedures is critical because confusion, misunderstanding, or delay can result in failure. Now, this can translate to your comp stuff too, right? Talking to your buddies and, and doing that kind of competition thing, how you communicate. If you go back and listen to some of our uh, lessons about, uh, what do you call it, um, scopes, picking the reticle, Use the one that speaks to you, okay, that's communicating to you the easiest, and that you can talk to other people. Do you do Mills or MOA based on your buddies and who you're shooting with, how you communicate with them? So anyway, so he says, current military manuals and lesson plans only touch briefly on the subject of sniper spotter dialogue. In one USMC publication, it says, and then he quotes the publication, it says, the sniper team may communicate in any way they feel comfortable with as long as it is effective and concise. Okay, you know, they're looking at the team dynamic. And what they're trying to say is, well, you have a team dynamic. Well, what happens if your team is new? You know, that's what Kevin's point is. Okay, 
This approach to the SSD works only when the sniper and spotter are teamed together long enough to grow familiar with each other and develop their own methods. It is true, and over time, a sniper team will develop their own communication. This may become a kind of, God, this private language, uh, idioglossia. It's, it's, it's a, it, it, right? It, wow, that's like a word there. It's like I-D-I-O-G-L-O-S-S-I-A. That's a hell of a word, Kevin. All right, but anyway, that's who he's talking about, your own private language, like gumazigam. You know, go get the gumas over there, man. That kind of thing. So, uh, like, if I was back, you know, in Connecticut and I was talking to one of my buddies and stuff, I said, hey, dude, go grab me that gumas. He would know exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, private language will work for the sniper team as long as the team retains the same two individuals. If one member of the team becomes a casualty or is replaced, the replacement must learn the new language in order to operate. Similarly... Now, the multiple teams must work in coordinated sniper operations. The existence of multiple procedures, sniper spotter dialogue procedures, um, has the potential to uh, for the Tower of Babel effect, right? So what he's saying is that if, we, if I talk with my partner one way and Mark and his partner talk in another way, we're going to have this little bit of a communication lag between us. So if you can standardize your dialogue, especially among teams then you're, you're going to work that much better. All right, so now we're going on to page two here. It says, so the purpose of a well-defined sniper spotter log dialogue procedure is to, one, eliminate confusion, two, speed the transfer of information, enhance the sniper team's efficiency, establish a common practice so the properly trained individuals unfamiliar with each other can operate together effectively with a minimum amount of indoctrination. Okay, you hear this talked about all the time. New new people come into a team and they got to work them up, right? So you got to train these guys to get on board with what you're doing. So part of this is to minimize that downtime in training. Okay, so the word dialogue means a conversation between two or more persons. Most often the sniper spotter dialogue takes place between the sniper and spotter. However, on occasions the dialogue includes a third party, a controller, in a sniper operation where coordination with other elements is required, a controller directs the coordination. Such operations may include hostage rescue, sniper-initiated assaults, and multiple engagement scenarios, right? That's like the um, uh, Captain Phillips thing, man. When you got more than one guy going to take a shot on more than one person and there's a controller that's calling the shots. So that go, look, go watch Captain Phillips and then you can at the end and you can see what they're talking about. So the team organization, a sniper team is comprised most commonly of two men. Both members of the sniper team should be fully trained snipers. Either member of the team can function as the sniper or spotter. When organized into a team, the snipers are able to provide mutual security, diminish stress, remain deployed longer, and engage targets more rapidly. Okay, so that when you're both trained up to an equal level, it, it, you don't want to fall into the trigger monkey thing where they say, oh, this guy's just a trigger monkey. He'll, he'll listen to what the main guy says. You want to spin up your junior guy pretty quick. So then um, more experience, the, peer, uh, the more experience of the peer should act as the spotter during the shot. And that's the typical way of talking about it, right? So your more experienced guy is the spotter. He's going to have better experience with the wind, although we're, we're changing that, right, with the way we talk about the wind, where if we know what our miles per hour gun is, it should be a pretty much a given. And then the more experienced members of Baby will be able to read the win, give um, the sniper compensated points, and ensure first-round hit. Assignment of the more experienced sniper as the spotter 
is U.S. Army doctrine. The United States Marine Corps doctrine states that either member of the sniper team can fill the function and no preferences expressed. So in the Marine Corps, it can go either way. In the Army, they say the experienced guy is the, is the spotter. Um, you know, so sniper spotter responsibilities. So each member of the sniper team and spotter have a specific responsibility during the occupation of their final firing position. When the sniper and the spotter know specifically what their responsibilities are, they can act more efficiently and with less confusion. Likewise, a clear understanding of what tasks are assigned to which team member, on a new page here, uh, team member enhances the cohesion of the team. Right, so uh, th- this reads like a manual, and I get it because we are reading a manual, and that was what Kevin was looking to put out there with the guild. I mean, I even I even found I got right here. Let me see what it says. Uh, that might not be it. This one, I even have the uh, original challenge coin. So, I member number two is what I think it says. Let me see. I can't. I don't have my glasses on now. I can't. Yep. Sure as heck looks like I have coin number two. And it's got my name on it. So uh, we have our challenge coin with member number two in my name. So we were always playing this game going back then, trying to organize, disseminate information, train people, right? So kind of neat. So then sniper responsibilities. And, And if you guys, we got a lot of LE, a lot of military guys. I mean, like I said, everything changes a little bit. This was written, you know, just after 2001. But sniper responsibilities. Build a steady, comfortable position. There's that word, right? Locate and identify the designated target. Assist in range determination. Apply the correct adjustment to the rifle scope. Notify the spotter of readiness to fire. Take aim at the designated target. Control breathing at natural respiratory pause. Execute proper trigger control. Follow through. Make an accurate and timely shot call and immediately prepare for a fire follow-up shot. Okay? Then he has for responsibilities of the spotter is to properly position himself, select the appropriate target, determine the range, determine the effects of weather conditions on the ballistics, report the sight adjustments to the sniper, observe the target during the shot, direct and adjust holds for follow-up shots when necessary, prepare field sketches and range cards, make entries into the logbook, maintain observer records, our observation records, and then act as a radio operator, right, the RTO. So sniper spotter positioning, and I'm not going to go into all this. It's it's actually a lot longer than we have time for, but I'm going to get you through a lot of this because I think it'll help out, and it's a little nugget, right? It's a little Sunday morning nugget for everybody on this St. Patrick's Day. See, you got to watch, like, the original, original Simpsons episodes because I'm Italian, right? So I'm the evil leprechaun because, you know, what's more evil than an Italian leprechaun? But anyway, you go watch the original Simpsons episode with Kent Brockman in the news in the first St. Paddy's Day episode where he's like, it's St. Patrick's Day where everybody gets to be a little bit Irish except for the gays and Italians. And that's from Simpsons, not me. I'm just repeating it. Don't shoot the messenger. But it's funny. Anyway, so uh, the sniper should take uh, find a place on the ground that allows him to build a steady, comfortable position with the best cover, concealment, and visibility of the target area. Once established, the spotter should position himself out of the sniper's field of view on his firing side and, pl- and, and places the spotter in the line of the target near and along the sniper's line of sight. So basically you want to get as tucked in close behind the rifle so you could see the trace. That's what he's saying there. Uh, this will allow the best view possible bullet trace. That's what he said. And also when the sniper and spotter are close together, communication's easier. Now most people are using comm. 
back then when we were in, uh, Kevin and myself and things like that, we, we weren't running individual comm that way. We were whispering to each other, you know. So that way you could check the sniper weapon system and all that. And he's got figures. See figure one. And he's talking about in figure one he has a picture of, um, you know, the 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 what the team would look like, and then he talks about the lexicon. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna jump forward here a little bit, so I'm gonna go into one of the examples of the discussion because now he's talking about different communication devices, and so there's there's a communication aspect of it with radios and electronics and headsets and things like that. So then a dialogue example: Once a target is detected, then the process of engaging the target is begun. Normal conversation gives way to the disciplined sniper shooter dialogue. Note, spelling of the numbers in this example reflect the proper phonetic pronunciation of the words. Okay, and in, in it, he has target two, T-O-O, Mills, right of TRP, Fife. Okay, so you have a target reference position, Foxtrot, Fife, he's using, we would use Foxtrot. And he's saying two mills because you want to pronounce it two T-O-O and not so much T-O-W-O. So uh, sniper target two mills to the right of TRP Foxtrot. Spotter Roger one and he's spelled it W-U-N one man in camo with S-V-D. Okay, so he's communicating what they're seeing. Making sure we're both looking at the same thing. Affirmative, right? Spotter range 620 yards Hold one mil left wind, right? So direction and distance. It'd be left wind, one mil. I know I got a whole main reticle to the left, one mil. Sniper ready. Spotter send it. Sniper splash, okay? Round impacts. Say the round impacts a half mil off the target. So then it would be left half mil. Direction and, and distance, right? Direction, left, distance, half mil. And, and that is the, the how quickly you can make the adjustment, so where you would do it. So it basically comes down to this direction and distance. What we'll say in classes is, you know, center hold, right? So you're telling the, the, the shooter, like this is something I do in the classes all the time. Tell the shooter, center hold, left wind, right, half mil. So they're gonna their elevation is center, center hold on the thing, and then I'm going to tell you left wind, so you're going to move main crosshair to the left, half mil. So that's giving you an elevation as well as a windage correction. So I've started to add in a bit of elevation to that. Now you're telling somebody what to dial on, but what if the next correction, they now have to hold off a little bit? What if your range estimation was wrong? What if they moved? What if something that in the follow-up shot isn't that you know, four mils you dialed on. What if it now you have to hold 0.5 up, right? So it would be that center hold on target point, you know, or 0.5 over instead of center hold. So it'd be 0.5 high or high 0.5, right? Direction high 0.5 and then left wind, then left 0.5. So it'd be up 0.5, left 0.5. So it would be high 0.5, Left 0.5, send it. There you go. So that's part of that, that that shooter spotter dialogue. We get asked about that all the time. It's not something we normally, normally do too often other than how we're speaking to you and we'll explain that. And the only difference is, is in a class, we're alternating between Mills and MOA based on the student. You know, So it's this case of 
hey, you know, uh, what are you shooting? Oh, MOA. Okay, so you're going to hold 7.2 MOA or 7.25 MOA on that target, and this guy's going to hold 2 MOA or 2 mils. You know what I mean? So you're hearing those two different things, but we're just alternating between the uh, the adjustment uh, type mills or MOA. But that's what we're usually doing. It's generally where you're putting the reticle, direction, and distance. Got it? So that's where we want to make our communication efficient. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to jump off. I'm going to start ingesting some video, start doing that. The fuzz just came upstairs. Dr. Harold Fuzzenstein. So he's here, and he, he's coming up to say hi. He got a haircut the other day. He's pretty, he's, pretty, he's pretty svelte right now, looking good. Went to the doctor. Doctor gave him a good bill of health. Huh, Fuzz? You're, you're all good? Doctor says you're fine. Gave, gave him all kinds of tests, got his shots, and he's all no rabies free. Mr. Fuzz is here. Here's his collar. There he is. All right, guys, I'm going to blow out of here, and you guys have a great night. If you drink, don't drive. If you drive, don't drink. And, you know, if you get a little crazy, I, I get it, man. It's all a good time. All righty. Have a great one.